Hello. Welcome to the 11th episode of my literary analysis podcast, Night Reader. Welcome to everyone and anyone who's been following me. Go ahead and pull up a seat to the round table. There's enough room for anyone who's willing. Thank you all for joining me today in my 11th episode. We're going to be moving through some more of Herman Melville's masterpiece, Moby Dick or The White Whale. Last episode, I did a live cast on CastBox. It was my first time doing anything like that, and I thought it came out really well. It was for his 200th birthday. If you heard that, thank you so much, and if you want to hear it, you can hear it on any platform right now. I think that episode has a lot of great insights into Herman Melville's mind, why he decided to write these books, what he believed in, and what he achieved by writing these books. If you're new to reading, and if you're younger, or if you've been reading your whole life, or you're in a middle spot, uh, maybe you used to read and love it. I'd love for you to hang out with me for a bit. Maybe you can rekindle that love, get that spark in your heart again. I know that literature is a very strong thing in our world, and it can move us toward physical action and creation of our own art. I think literature is absolutely important. More than important, it's a necessity for humanity. Not only for self-expression, but for getting history marked and in the books, truly. That being said, I like to take a look at all these things and also concepts such as inspiration and apprehension of art. My number one goal through this podcast is truly to inspire and help you get past these apprehensions of creating your own art. Or if you're sometimes scared of looking into these more difficult and obscure texts such as Moby Dick, I'd love to help you get past those apprehensions as well, and other things too. If you're dealing with any kind of mental health issues, depression, anxiety, bipolar, many, many things. Um, I've experienced and dealt with a lot of people like that, and I've been through a lot of those things in my own life. So feel free to reach out to me. We could talk about video games, books, movies, shows, sports, anything really. I'd love to chat with you guys. I love getting to know my listeners. For the sake of time and interest, I'm not going to recap any of the past story, but you can feel free to go back and listen along, catch up, or grab your own copy and read along with me, or just listen to all my episodes. You don't need to read any of the books to understand and keep up with the story. I'll explain it all through the podcast. We're going to learn a lot more about Captain Ahab, Old Thunder, what his beliefs are, his mannerisms are, and what led him to be the way he is now. It's a really cool portion of the book. A few things I wanted to mention to you guys. If you like my podcast, Night Reader, there's an awesome app called Podcoin, which I'm sure you guys have heard of. But it's a great way to listen to all your podcasts. It's easy to find and super easy to use. You can use the app to claim gift cards and even donate to charity, depending on how much you listen. It's really awesome, and it turns your listening time into points. And the more you listen, the more points you earn. It's where I listen to all my favorite shows like Dark Topic and True Crime Murder Mysteries. I love it, and I have it for Android. All you have to do is go download it in the App Store, use the code READER for some points right off the bat. I, you guys should absolutely try it. Um, it's a great app. You guys know I like to talk about positive pages and influential you know, Instagram pages and podcasts and stuff like that. So I wanted to talk with you guys a bit about the Get Lit podcast. It's a great one, and in the same genre as mine. It's definitely a niche podcast. 
They're putting the lit back in literature. It's hosted by John and Steph, and you can find it anywhere y'all listen. I'm going to be collaborating with them pretty soon on an episode that about books that have helped them grow as people. We're going to talk about some really cool things, and uh, so look forward to that. And make sure you go follow them up and follow their pages. Stream all their episodes. They're really cool people. Another page I think you guys should follow and check out on Instagram. Uh, it's kind of like a bookstagram page with so much great content. It's Michelle Book Addict. That's M-I-C-H-E-L-L-E Book Addict on Instagram. So she has her own website and so much more. She's reading through Moby Dick, which, as you guys know, is one of my absolute favorite books that we're moving through on this podcast. She has pictures of animals, books, travel, just so many cool things. It's a really bright and colorful page. You guys should definitely follow her. Show her some love. Tell her Night Reader sent you. She's a really cool chick for sure, guys. Check her out. Another awesome and magical book page on Instagram is the Wild Mages Library. That's W-I-L-D. M-A-G-E-S Library You guys should definitely follow her as well She's a Harry Potter fan Her Instagram is just full of book pictures With floral arrangements Candles And other cool magical vibe things It's a really cool Instagram And she has a great inspiration And literature for books You guys should definitely follow her up Again that's the Wild Mages Library A personal blog on Instagram Basically a bookstagram And as long as we're talking about this type of thing, I would like to share a couple of personal things with you guys. You may have seen some of it on my page, some of the videos I post. I'm going to be part of the Moby Dick Readathon. It's coming in October in San Francisco at the Maritime Museum. It's going to be an incredible two-day event, 24 hours, I believe, straight, where people are volunteering to read out of Moby Dick, and they're going to read the entire thing. A lot of other cool just surroundings and whale-themed stuff, and it's kind of just like an homage to Herman Melville since it's his 200th birthday this year. So I'm going to be there reading out of some early chapters and some later chapters. I'll be there all 24 hours. If anyone's local, and yeah, I think you guys should absolutely, absolutely come to this. It's going to be super cool. Uh, And you guys could even volunteer to read if you wanted to. Like I said, I'm going to be there the whole time doing some Night Reader-themed stuff hopefully playing some music, talking about Herman Melville, networking, getting around, doing a lot of cool things, and uh, I might even have some merch that I'm handing out as well. So if you are in the area, I think you guys should come. And if you guys want me to live stream my time there or something like that along those lines, let me know and I'll set that up. And one more thing, it's kind of personal, I wanted to share with you guys, but it's super important to me because I was able to land this through my podcast. It's a new job I'm going to be doing, and it's a living history instructor. So basically, I'll be in character out of the 1800s on a ship, a real ancient vessel that's harbored in San Francisco. And I'll have the opportunity to go out sailing with children, sometimes overnight, teaching them leadership skills and history. It's going to be really, really cool, and it's been a dream of mine. I've always loved working with children and being outside, and... Of course, with reading Moby Dick, this has been a huge dream of mine to be on an old boat like that. Um, I never thought I'd get the opportunity. And through this podcast, through your guys' support and love for books and what I'm doing, I got that opportunity to do that. And I'm incredibly, incredibly humbled and excited about it. So thank you guys so much from the bottom of my heart for listening. 
That being said, my podcast is a huge commitment in my life, and I won't stop. Next year at this time, I'll still be doing Night Reader Podcast, and the following year as well. We're going to be moving through so many great classic books, talking with so many authors and readers from around the world. I can't wait to see how it goes and where it leads us. But like I said, it's going to be here no matter what for you guys. So if you are a follower, a listener, and you enjoy what I have to offer, there's going to be so much more of it. And thank you guys for sticking around with me. Can't thank you enough. Many authors are fantastic at creating characters for their stories, but there's something different about the way Melville does this. The main characters are so separate in their ways of thinking, you would almost think that each character is operating on his own terms, in his own world, and not just according to what the protagonist and antagonist are doing. Every back character could seriously have a book written about them in their own perspective, and it would be an awesome book in its own right. This adventure, Moby Dick, with its strong and reoccurring themes of manifest destiny, meaning is life predetermined, or do our choices truly sway our paths? With so many conflicting personalities in this world, how do you believe our destinies are aligned? Could we really be making conscious decisions, us humans by the thousands, with all of these causes and effects intertwining around each other's? And yet there is harmony to some extent on this planet. Ishmael, in the beginning of the story, has a decision to make, but at the same time he feels pressured and magnetized to a certain idea of being out on the ocean. It seems to be the only thing that can keep him sane. He believes that he's in control of his fate, but his worries that begin to arise as they sail out. I believe this is his conscious realizing he's losing control of his destiny. It is falling into the hands of this one man and his conquest for revenge, Captain Ahab. And larger than that, the vessel they are on, the Pequod. Larger than that, by the mercy of the sea. And larger still, the mercy of Mother Nature and her tidings. But what could anyone do in this situation but put it out of their minds? He's locked in. His name is literally signed on a contract. It's food for thought to think on how our destinies are laid out. As for Ishmael and friends, we'll have to wait and see, but it isn't looking good. There is hope yet though, as there are some sane people aboard this vessel, some talented hands and captains. Melville's thought-provoking artwork that he's penned, it's truly timeless. It is I, Ishmael. Last we spoke, Captain Ahab had made himself visible to all. And what a haunting image to be revealed. The girth of a man's conscience. He is untouchable. And yet some humanity shines through. On the sea we rocked for a few days until we came at last to some clear weather. The tropical air brings out a light-heartedness in the crew. But with Ahab. Main mate, Stubb. He's a happy-go-lucky man, and he's going to have a run in this chapter with Ahab. An exchanging of words. Now, you remember Stubb from the Knights and Squires episode, 
the second mate, always cheerful and whistling a tune, carefree, constantly toiling away at his tobacco pipe. We're going to hear the way that Captain Ahab speaks, not only in general, but to all his shipmates, even the important ones. He has quite a grandiose way of speaking, and it can be quite demeaning. Well, Stubb will get an earful, no doubt. A small quote here. It's Ishmael speaking of Captain Ahab, and I quote, Old age is always wakeful, as if the longer linked with life, the less man has to do with aught that looks like death, unquote. So we're hearing of Captain Ahab's liveliness here. He is no broken old man. Most of the elderly captains those days would come up occasionally at night to check on their decks, but Ahab seemed to be up more and more at night. So, almost every 24 hours, when the band of sailors like sentinels went down to their sleeping quarters, and those few sailors on deck to man overnight would be more careful about how they threw the rope as to not disturb those sleeping below. When this kind of quiet hour took over the vessel, the man steering the ship, Bulkington, would expectantly peer at the scuttle or the stairs that led up from below deck. He knew Ahab would be coming up at this time. And sure enough, old Ahab would appear eventually, grasping at the metal railing. Now, Ishmael notes here, and I feel it's a bit important, that he notices some consideration and a touch of humanity in Ahab. He refrained from walking the decks with his wooden leg. Ishmael says that the tired and weary shipmates seeking refuge a mere six inches below his bony step. With that reverberating crack, their dreams would turn to that of the crunching teeth of sharks. However, at a certain point it seemed Ahab forgot his consideration, the mood in him being too deep for common regardings, and so he walked from front to back of the ship. And as he did, it seemed Stubb woke up, came up on the deck and proposed the idea that maybe there was some way old Ahab could muffle his step, maybe by wrapping it in a cloth or something. Now, let's hear what Ahab has to say of that. Am I a cannonball stub, that thou would wad me in that fashion? But go thy ways, I'd forgot, below to thy nightly grave, where such as ye sleep between shrouds, to use ye for the filling one at last. Down, dog, and kennel. I can only imagine the scorn he spit these words out with. Stubb was surely speechless. He responds, saying he's not used to being spoken to that way, and he didn't very much like it. Ahab yells at him suddenly, telling him to basically back off. And he makes a motion where he backs away quickly, almost like he's stopping himself from wanting to take a swing at Stubb. Now Stubb, maybe foolishly, stands his ground, saying he won't be spoken to like a dog. Now, listen to Ahab's terrible response to this. Now, go back down to your nightly grave, Stubb, or I'll lay you down myself. In saying this, Ahab advanced upon Stubb, as if he were going to strike him with all his earthly might. Stubb involuntarily retreated. Now, the reader enters Stubb's inner dialogue and follows him down into the hole, 
where he has some realizations of Ahab. His points can come across slightly convoluted when you're reading directly from the book, so let me put it into simpler terms for you. He thinks to himself, he's never been spoken to that way without retaliating in some form, usually physically. He doesn't know whether to go back up and strike him or to drop to his knees and pray for the man. We've all felt similar to this about something or somebody in our lives before, yeah? Very relatable. Stubbs and her thoughts go something like this. The look in his eyes when he flashed towards me. Is Ahab mad? There's something serious on this man's mind, surely. And he doesn't seem to sleep more than three hours when he does go down. In fact, the steward boy who makes up the hammocks and sleeping areas had told Stubb that every morning when he goes to make up Ahab's quarters, he finds the hammock sheets all rumpled and tumbled up, all twisted in knots. And when he felt the pillow, it was as hot as an oven-baked brick. An angry old man, Stubb thinks to himself. They say that a conscience is worse than a toothache. Now Stubb's not exactly sure what conscience is, but Lord keep him from catching it. And now Stubb can't sleep. He thinks to himself, it's worth being born into the world, if only for the wonderful feeling of falling back asleep. After all, it's the first thing babies do when they enter this world. We're gonna hear Stubb's personality shine through a little bit here. His 11th commandment is to simply think not, and his 12th is to sleep when you can, but he can't. He has just been called a dog and a mule, but he can't figure out what is the matter with him. He's so shooken up, the old man seemed to turn him wrong inside out. The only way he'd be able to get to sleep is if he makes himself believe it was just a dream. Well, he tries again to sleep, and we move back above the deck with a new chapter. So we've caught a glimpse of the viciousness in Captain Ahab, the effect he has on his poor crew. He quickly and terribly will lash out. He seems terrible. Poor Stubb couldn't even get back to sleep. Forget the pounding of his ivory leg. It was the flash of his face that kept him awake. As Stubb falls asleep, we're introduced to a wonderful and short chapter, chapter 30 called The Pipe. It's an observation of Ahab, and we learn more of his personal tones. Back above deck, Stubb departed down the scuttle. As per usual, Ahab called for the sailor of the watch and sent him below for his ivory stool. He also called for his pipe. Ahab walked over to a hanging lamp and lit his pipe, planted the stool near the edge of the deck and sat and smoked. We get a cool and a simple historical reference here. In Old Norse times, the thrones of sea-loving Danish kings were fabricated with the tusks of a great narwhal. How could one look at Ahab on his tripod of bones without seeing the royal symbolization? He seemed king of the sea, a great lord of leviathans. A couple quiet moments pass. Constant puffs of smoke rise from his mouth and blow right back into his face. He seemed to be constantly pulling on the pipe and filling himself with smoke. Eventually, after this constant toiling, he pulls the pipe away from his face and begins to speak aloud. In simple terms, he says this, I quote, How now, 
This smoking no longer soothes my soul. Oh, my pipe. I must be having a hard go at it if its charm is gone. Here I have been unconsciously toiling, not pleasuring. And ignorantly, I smoked windward with such nervous whiffs. What business do I have with this pipe? This thing that is meant to provide serenity to the mind, to send up mild white vapors amongst white hairs, not among torn iron gray locks like mine. I will smoke no more, unquote. And he tosses his still lighted pipe into the sea. The embers and it hissed out in the waves and the pipe released a big bubble on the surface of the waves. Ahab pulls his hat down and paces the planks. So why is this chapter included? It gives us much insight into the way Ahab thinks. Not only of himself, but of the world. You can see he's incredibly rough on himself and doesn't think he's worthy of such earthly pleasures. He sees himself as too torn, beyond redemption, essentially. He tries desperately to find some serenity in one of the last remaining ways he knows how. But tonight, he kicks the habit, realizing it does not a single thing for him. In fact, it's making him feel worse. I really love the quickness and commitment of his decision. When he's done, he's done. It's a fine line Ahab walks from self-deprecating to self-righteousness. Maybe he is more than a bit mad. Now, if we may step back for a moment and take a look at the themes. Themes of revenge are ever-present, as well as the idea of these concepts even existing at all. It's so much deeper than it presents itself to be at first. When people think that this book is just a collection or a story about, or just like nonsense about whaling or stuff like that, I can't understand how someone could just see that book as something as simple as this. You have to extend your view and you have to look deeper. The thought and idea of inspiration even being present in our lives. And I say that a bit loosely because clearly to some extent it exists, but how much of it is needed to push someone to take And what about ancient artists? Who inspired them? The first original ideas. Were they placed there by some kind of divine intervention? If you listen to the beginning of my sixth episode, you can hear a piece I wrote about inspiration. I'd love for you to hear it. Back to the book. A short and mysterious chapter describing a dream Stubb had. It is titled, Queen Mab. Now, Queen Mab is a fairy referred to in William Shakespeare's play, Romeo and Juliet. She appears in other poetry and literature, plays, plays and poems often. She's often described as a magical entity that flies over people's faces and ignites their dreams, or allows them to dream. Now, poor Stubb has been a victim of Ahab's hard edge. On that night when he went down to bed after speaking with Ahab, and getting treated like less than dirt, basically. When he finally does sleep, he dreams. And when he wakes, he approaches Flask to speak with him about the odd dream. It is indeed very weird. This short chapter is called Queen Mab. Now poor Stubb begins to describe his vivid dream. At first, he dreams that Ahab kicked him again with his ivory leg. And when Stubb goes to kick him back, his leg flies right off. 
when he looks at Ahab again, he seems to be larger than a pyramid. Ahab then transforms into a sort of merman and speaks to Stubb, telling him to be honored by these kicks, not offended. Stubb argues a bit, but wakes up with a fresh view. He's definitely scared of Ahab, and he's not going to go up against him again. The second Ahab says jump, he's going to do it. He says to Flask that Ahab has that that's bloody on his mind. And he's very right. Such an odd, mysterious little chapter. After this is where Herman Melville takes a break from the novel to speak with us about cetology or marine life. He describes in great detail many different kinds of small fish and whales, killer whales, narwhals, white whales, all kinds. He describes their behaviors as well as their physical appearance and how dangerous they all are. He even describes the state of cetology in the time he was alive, the direction science was going and how educated and or uneducated the world is regarding these creatures. It goes on for a few pages. We're greeted by the next chapter called The Speck Snyder. It lets us into some information regarding the hierarchy of whaling vessels and its democracy. So, way back in the day, way before Moby Dick was even written, on board whaling vessels you would have not only the captain at the head, but also the head harpooner, then known as the Speck Snyder. The captain would be in charge of the navigation and charts, and the head harpooner would be in charge of the whale hunting. But in the time of Moby Dick, they were basically back at the same status. The success of a whaling voyage is highly dependent on the chief harpooner and his ability. They would even sometimes be in command of the vessel. Therefore, due to responsibility, it can be assumed that they should be housed and live separately from your average man at sea. Though socially equal, they are recognized as superiors generally. The best way to tell a captain or harpooner from your average man at sea is by where they were housed on the ship. All the average men were housed in front, and the harpooners, captains, and head captains in the back. They would also dine in the same area as the captain. Now, southern whaling voyages were the longest, worst, and most dangerous of all ocean voyages. And it's teamwork on a whaling ship that gets the highest payout for everyone, with the success weighing on the entire crew. Captain Ahab, as a captain, was not a terrible stickler for specifics. He didn't make you remove your shoes before walking onto deck, for example, like some captains often would. He doesn't need this army-like way of commandeering to be powerful. There is something naturally terrifying within him. We learn from Ishmael that Ahab has and will abuse sailing regularities and ceremonies to his great benefit. We know what these private matters are and reservations are for him. It's to kill the great white whale known as Moby Dick. Ahab has a complex, or an unhealthy self-righteousness, a sultanism, as Herman puts it, and in that way his dictatorship is powerful and dangerous. Now, however smart you may be, kings are sometimes born into that life. Sometimes you work your way up to that status. But Ishmael recognizes this false sense of kingliness that Ahab has for himself but he doesn't understand where it's derived from. He says that anything grand or great within Ahab would have to be pulled from thin air. 
it doesn't exist. Such a remarkable uh, chapter, truly. Um, let us into more of Ahab's psyche, the twisted way of thinking that he has. Um, it's incredibly exciting. And uh, next episode, we're going to come up on some um, chapters that are a little bit more lighthearted, shows a little of humor, kind of like the earlier chapters. Uh, but we get to see a little bit more of the hierarchy of the ship and the way it goes and the way people kind of walk on eggshells around Ahab, uh, the effect he has on the rest of his crew, even the commanding officers and um, his harpooners and how they all... Uh, kind of what you get to see a little bit of how they all think of him and how they see him and their view on him differs greatly um, some of them are afraid of him some of them are kind of angry at him some of them are kind of blinded by his uh, you know blinded by his enthusiasm and he's kind of had them has them under his thumb um, so it's really really exciting really cool and it's going to be coming out really soon um, I wanted to thank you guys so much for listening to this podcast and Despite the gap, I've been um, really working on getting this job going well and some other things I got in the works. But uh, now that the school year is starting back up and stuff like that, I'm going to have a lot more time to dive right back in. So episode 12 is going to be coming out soon. And another of your favorite reads is coming out as well. So if you hear this and you want to talk with me about a book that you love or enjoy or had an effect on you as you grew up um, or even as a child, I love I would love to speak with you. Um, but thank you guys so much. And like I said, PodCoin is a great, great place to check out podcasts, especially mine. Um, and yeah, just I hope you guys enjoy. And I'll talk to you guys again soon. This episode of the Night Reader podcast was recorded and produced and written by Dylan C. Um, thank you all for listening so much. And I'd appreciate any review, like, follow, or retweet, whatever. Um, so go on. Flip your pages, drop your sword, pick up your pens and read spectacles. Let us read on.